Jonathan and I have been sharing together since the first of the year in a sermon series entitled Holiness of Heart and Life. We've been talking about Wesleyan Methodism and we've been talking a lot about John Wesley in particular and his brother who was a writer of hymns, Charles Wesley. But the images of John Wesley do him a disservice. Now, I know that cameras were not available to picture him, but even the paintings leave him somewhat flat upon the stage of life. He seems to be so static and, and so lifeless. But let me tell you that he was anything but that. John Wesley was this soul that was so invested in living a life of holiness that everywhere he went, he either delighted people or provoked them. In fact, things that he would say could set congregations afire with the love of God. He had this deep sense of calling in and of himself to be close to God in everything that he did. He wanted his heart to be right with God. In his journal, he reflected over and over and over again on what is it that I can do to set my entire soul in right connection with God. This was a question that stayed with him throughout his life. He was driven by this inner call for for piety, not to look good in other people's eyes, but to look good in God's eyes. He encouraged Methodists that were understanding of his purposes to be filled with works of piety. He said, go to church. He said, gather with other Christians. He said, don't only worship there, worship at home as well. Spend time in prayer. Read your Bibles. Spend time fasting. Let all of this draw you closer to God. But he also focused on another means of grace, another way of welcoming God into our lives that for him was crucial. And he called it works of mercy as a means of grace. What were works of mercy for John Wesley? That was putting our faith into action. In fact, perhaps in this place of understanding, there was a greater way of getting connected with God through our love for other people. He went so far as to say on more than one occasion... There is no holiness but social holiness. Now, we live in a culture where the, the resounding word is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you ever heard a preacher say that before? I will be shocked if you have not. And I'm not criticizing that. That is what we wish to have. That's what John Wesley wished to have, is this personal relationship with God. But he knew 
that there were far more important things that were going on about our relationship with God that we seem not to be drawn to get right. He said, there is no holiness but social holiness. He was constantly pulled toward reaching out, especially to those that were in need around him, those who were in the streets of London and Bristol and throughout England particularly. He had this deep compassion for their poverty and would use his resources and the resources of as many others as he could gain. Even when he was 85 years old, in the coldest parts of winter, he was walking up and down the streets of London, going to the houses of those people for whom he could beg assistance in caring for the poor. This man was absolutely, absolutely connected with reaching out to those that were in need. In fact, it changed the whole scope of what the church was like because the church has this way of evolving into caring for those who have, not those who have not. But in Methodist quarters, especially in the beginnings of the church, in the Methodist church, it was almost more a gathering of the needy when they gathered for worship. It was such a connection with those that were in need. There's a passage of scripture that John particularly loved. Listen to this. It's from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. Jesus speaking to his disciples. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends 
because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. Did you pick up on the scary part of Jesus' metaphor? I don't know if you've hesitated at that point. It never ceases to catch me. The idea of pruning. That's scary, isn't it? Do you ever ask yourself, I wonder if I'm in right relationship enough with Christ. Will I be among those who are pruned away from his kingdom work? Do you ever ask yourself that question? And on top of it, Jesus throws in there that these vines that are pruned away will wither up and die, and then they're taken and what? They're thrown into the fire. These are scary images, especially when they're combined with So much of what we have heard from hellfire and brimstone preachers who've taken it and been it to their liking. They've taken it and been it to their liking. Because Jesus wasn't trying to scare us. Did you pick up on that in the passage? Jesus wasn't threatening his disciples. How many of you have ever worked with grapevines before. I'm just curious. A few of you have done that. It's fascinating. You don't prune a grapevine just once in its life. How often do you prune a grapevine? Every year you prune a grapevine. Any good vine grower knows that. You're working with the grapevine. Is it your purpose to injure the grapevine? No, but you cut it back every year. The vine grower loves the grapevine. The vine grower wishes for the grapevine to be as productive as it possibly can be. I've only planted one grapevine in my life. It was years ago, and I was so discouraged I haven't planted one since. I only got two grapes off of it. Two grapes. It is Jesus' purpose that those things that are non-productive would be taken away. And that's something that should be happening all the time in our lives. In fact... Whether you know it or not, that is happening with you right now. It is happening. There is this inevitable chipping away that God does at our lives. For those who give themselves over to him, that is meant to bring us closer to the purposes that he has for us. Abide is this wonderful word. If I were to pick one word 
that is just a favorite of mine, besides love, okay. It might be abide. Because it is not used in any language that I speak throughout the day. Do you ever use that word? I don't use that word except when I'm reading scripture. Abide is not something that you use in your family. But when you hear the word abide, what comes to your mind? This passage of scripture. Abide in me as I abide in you. God places himself with us, remains with us, even when we think that he is not there. John Wesley used to talk about this thing called prevenient grace. That is, the grace of God working in your life even before you realize that he is working in your life. He used this illustration about the house of God, this house of grace. And he talked about how big this porch is, how God invites us up onto the porch and and how as we are on the porch, we may not even realize that God's grace is working before we move toward that door of salvation, justification, as we draw close to him. But he is with us. Jesus is with us. He seeks to give this message to his disciples. And he talks to them about this fruit. This fruit that their lives are bearing. In fact, this word that he uses when he's talking to them, he says, you have already been cleansed. But did you know that the Greek word for cleansed here is the very same word word as the word in Greek for pruning. The very same word. God is pruning us and drawing us toward being those people that are very fruitful. He goes on to say this is about love, about our loving one another, reaching out to care for those especially that are in need. What is the fruit that Jesus is referring to here? He's referring to this sense of mercy. We live in a world that doesn't want to be slowed down by somebody else's need. But you and I are called to be the exception to this. In fact, without our attentiveness to that type of love... The other type of love that's a part of our life has no significance. You remember Paul's writing about this in 1 Corinthians 13. And he said, if I have all of this love, if I have all of these actions, but do not have love, then I have nothing. I'm nothing more than just this sound of God. I'm not the presence of God. It is this caretaking of others that truly becomes the fruit he talks about this fruit that will be sustained this fruit that will last and I wonder at times what he meant by that could this be the fruit could this be the fruit 
that would last. How in the world do you keep a grape for a long period of time? Well, you take it and you squish it. And you get the juice out of it and you ferment it. And you put it in a wine skin or a bottle. And that'll keep for ages. Do you remember the context of Jesus' talking about all of this? Where was he? He was at the Last Supper with his disciples. He had just knelt down before them and used his life as an illustration. He washed their feet. Peter resisted that and said, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Jesus said, if you don't, then you have no part in what I'm about. This is the fruit that lasts. I give to you my body, my blood. If I die for you, this is a calling for you to do the same. To give your lives to others. If there's anything that will be sustained in this world, it is those expressions of love toward those that are in need. John Wesley was right. There really is no holiness but social holiness. Love one another. As we come to